Welcome to the Iron Mind Podcast. Join me, Josh Brumley, as we explore the minds of those who forged their paths through legal battles, business triumphs, and creative conquests. In each episode, we sit down with inspiring individuals who sharpened their resolve in the fires of entrepreneurship and law. From lawyers breaking barriers to entrepreneurs overcoming obstacles, we uncover the stories behind their iron wills and innovative minds. Get ready for thought-provoking conversations, practical insights, and actionable advice. This is the Iron Mind Podcast. So I'm sitting with Semi Bird today. Semi, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule of running for governor to to come talk with our little old law firm here. That's a great law firm. I appreciate you saying that very much, very much. Can you tell us... Um, for people who don't know who you are or what you're running for, give us the, the elevator pitch, buddy. Well, as you open with, I'm running for governor for Washington State, and I like to say for all of Washington State, because I think that is something that's important as a servant leader that we do. We represent all citizens, right? And we were just talking about cultures with some other folks in the hallway, and that it's important that we recognize it's it's our diversity that's our strength, right? And uh, so I started out uh, inner city of East Oakland, California. Mom moved us to Seattle when I was six years old. Uh, Single mom, seven children, Um, 1961, so pre-civil rights. So rough time, strong woman, and uh, a lot of kids. And um, I grew up in Seattle, dropped out of high school, joined the Marine Corps when I was 17. I got my high school diploma two tours, I guess, or terms or enlistments, got my honorable discharge and uh, later got my bachelor's degree in business administration, um, summa cum laude 4.0. And so never discount a child and uh, how a child learns. And then went on, got my graduate degree, um, finishing up my PhD in industrial organizational psychology. Um, What else, 16 years later, I joined the US Army Wow. Um, yeah, I, post 9-11, I volunteered for Army Special Forces, became a Green Beret at age 43. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, wow, my first team uh, duct taped a, a, a walker, put a little tennis balls on it and said, <laughs> welcome to the team, Grandpa. So that was, we went out for a run after that. But, uh, <laughs> but it was great. And, uh, you know, served post 9-11 in combat, uh, Iraqi freedom, enduring freedom and um, it was great. Went into intelligence, um, left active duty, went into the Washington Army National Guard. Great group of uh, citizen soldiers and uh, became a federal employee with the U.S. Department of Energy and uh, worked my way up to GS-14 out of 15 and the U.S. Department of Energy. Became a federal director, retired from the federal government, retired from the military and uh, taught at WSU. Yeah, taught leadership. Oh, no. You're, you're yeah, are, you, are you a dog? Oh, you, man. Well, you know, here's it the thing. It was great to meet you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. So I'm a Villanova Wildcat. Um, proud and true. Go Nova. But no, I, you know, I enjoyed. I enjoyed um, working at WSU as an associate director. And um, I enjoyed being around students and uh, helping young people grow forward in their academic journey. And then... I became a behavioral scientist, and uh, my specialty is performance improvement, leadership development. I taught it, and uh, then I coached on it, and then I wrote on it. I wrote leadership theory, employee-centric wow. leadership. So I've enjoyed it. Um, I love people, and so I love helping people develop and grow. And it's a beautiful thing to see it come to fruition. 
Right. And uh, so I never had to advertise, so that was kind of neat. <laughs> and uh, but no, it was fun, and I, I loved my work. Well, uh, I I appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, out of your busy schedule. Um, if elected, can you share what your vision is for Washington State? Do you have like a, a platform you'd like to share with the yeah. listeners? You know, it's it's a lot. There's a lot going on in Washington right now. Um, and I don't want to sound cliche, but we, we are in a state of lawlessness, right? Um, you know, rape is up 51%, murder is up 95%, property crime is up 73%. Um, it's out of control and people don't feel safe in their neighborhoods. Um, and we haven't found the right solutions. The laws don't support communities or law enforcement. I think there's, there's that medium that we have to find. Um, education system is, is broke because we, we need to focus on academic excellence, academic excellence. We should be focusing on trades, those CTE programs, those, those, those programs within school. So kids get credits. We're actually training with tradesmen and women, right? Let's let's have junior apprenticeship programs. Um, our economy, taxes over taxation. We were talking about insurance earlier, and, and there's a reason why there's more accidents in Washington State. And based on all the studies I, I've seen, um, it stems from that out of control lawlessness, right? Mm. We have more crime, more break-ins. We have more auto theft, right? We were number two in the nation. Um, between number two and number three for auto theft. Um, so there, there's a lot and, and over taxation and that falls in citizens. If you're a homeowner, you know, new legislation, they're talking about raising our tax cap from 1% to 3%. And I'm already complaining about the 1%. Yeah. And so we need to start supporting small businessmen and women. We need to lift people out of poverty and despair because when one person comes out of poverty that enriches a community and people haven't realized that yet you're you're, you're now paying taxes you're you're now engaged in the american dream and and you're now setting the standard for generations to come right now our welfare system pays people just enough money to stay poor for the rest of their lives and that becomes generational it becomes systemic so there's a lot i, I don't know where, where to start but I will say day one, I'm going to call for a third party audit of all state programs and offices. And so I'm a geek when it comes to performance improvement. You have to have a baseline. You have to see how are we performing? What is our strategic plan? What are our key performance indicators? Oh, by the way, what are our desired outcomes? Right? What are we shooting for? What, what is our vision right. for the state? And how do we break it down across all of our departments? Why have we doubled our budget so now it's over $70 billion a year. In the last 10 years, it's gone from $35 billion to over $70 billion in the last 10 years. Wow. But yet, we are all paying more money into the system, but we're not seeing the performance. And let's not forget our brothers and sisters who are living and dying in the streets. Out of control homelessness, mental health, addiction. And we don't have the infrastructure in Washington State. Right now, even if every person suffering from addiction wanted to get treatment we don't have the infrastructure we don't have the beds for those who are seeking mental health treatment and as a behavioral scientist i, I see that gap i i think that's a, a great uh segue into uh, a bit that i read about you before you came on the show now 
I, I apologize if this is too deep to ask about, okay. but but you have a nephew who passed away from an overdose. Is yes. that correct? Yeah, uh, last year, um, Dominic. Um, and it was interesting. My my eldest sister, um, Edie, who amazing, um, she was much older than I was. I, I was the baby. You can't tell, right? Um, <laughs> kind of a drama queen, mama's boy. We were talking about that off off camera, but um, Edie. Much older than I was, so being the baby, when Edie had a child, Dominic, we were very close in age. So he was like my nephew, but a brother. Um, very close. And you know, when you suffer from addiction, there's no amount of money that, that changes addiction. It, it's that person has to have that hard truth that they need help. And until they're ready to take ownership, um, we as a family have to sit back. And it's, it's horrible. And, and it's not just Dominic. We, we've had it with other members of the family. And so I, I think that's one of the the reasons why we should be looking for something different in our elected officials, because sometimes it's difficult to fully empathize at a level until you felt it, right? You know, unless you've known poverty, unless you've known despair, unless you've, you've seen that and it's touched you personally, it's, it's, it's sometimes you can't quite empathize as much as... Uh, is often needed to bring about the change that's actually needed. But thank you, and I, I yeah, I miss them. Yeah, I, I imagine so. The the statistics and and my background as a public defender has has shined a light on yes. the addiction crisis. Um, it, it actually being addicted to heroin changes your brain chemistry, and it's not so easy to just tell someone just get off the drugs. You know, it, it changes how you think and how you act and everything about your life and. And I think we need someone who's going to be compassionate about how to help people. Yes. And and it's tough if, if someone is not interested in getting help, right? So how do you um, help guide someone through the criminal justice system, for example, who might not show back up to court? Yeah, that, that's it. There is a balance. You know, I, I have a thing where I say love is truth and truth is love. And um, without going too deep in that, love is a good place to start. If you care about someone and you love someone, you want to get them all the help. And this is true, you've heard that phrase, tough love. There is a combination of treatment and tough love, right? There is, and, and we have to face that. We have to face that. You know, I can't help but think if, if we or I or anyone had pushed a little harder, <laughs> Dominic, you would still be alive today. Right. If Dominic was behind bars, and that sounds hard, he would be alive today. And that's that's not anything that I'm saying in terms of a policy position, but simply from grief. What is the line between treatment and tough love or having that option? So here's what I would say. I've written a program that says we will bring compassion to bring programs to offer those services without them worrying about insurance, but that they will have those services, inpatient services needed because as you said, heroin, fentanyl, opioid addiction is so strong that they can't just come in and leave. Right. Right. Because once you leave, you go back out into that environment and you are sucked into that environment and you are a moment, a second away from falling back where you were. So, you know, methadone, suboxone, I mean, right? Yeah. So we need that full in-service treatment. But if a person is unwilling to help themselves, we have to help them. And I will say this, 
we're not going to allow these out of control encampments where people are living and dying on the streets. They don't want to be there. They'll say they do, but they don't. I was just out there last Sunday. So we went out with a group. We, we served food. We had fellowship. We had a good time. We talked. I met a gentleman and he told me straight up. He goes, I love being here. I said, really? I said, if you can go back in time and change anything, would you still want to be here? He said, oh, heck no. But he says, I get to do what I want to do. If I need to make money to get what I need to get to stay right, I can go out and hustle for it. They, they don't mess with us when it comes to law enforcement or crime. So I get to do what I need to do so I can I have a freedom. That's how he is processing it in his mind. But he was very clear that that is not the life that he wants to live or that he would have chose for himself. Very amazing young man. And he was so clear of mine. At first, I didn't know that he was suffering from addiction. I mean, yes, he had tattoos in his face, but that doesn't mean anything to me because yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you, you address, right? We've, yeah. we've adjusted. It's like, some of just, my staff here has tattoos on their face. Boom, <laughs> boom right? And, and so you don't. I've learned, right? And I'm just like, who's this articulate brother that I'm talking to, right? Because he was just sharp. And, and it wasn't until he said, no, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't take me out. It just, it just, it makes me right. And then I sort of processed like, oh, right? And then I figured it out. But no, it was a shame. Yeah. It was a shame. And I've, I've been out to the camps and I remember walking by once, uh, one camp once and I saw someone so far down and out. And again, I walked past and I just wept. And it's just, again, it was so hurtful that we are just letting people die in the streets. Yeah. It's cold. It was cold outside last week. We have to, we can't allow it anymore. And, and compassion is not just letting people go. It's not. Because if we gave them a better way of life, I think they would choose a better way of life. And once they get clean in my program, it's certifications, it's trades, it's job placement, right? And, and we'll incentivize our small businessmen and women that we partner with so that they understand we want you to hire them. They may have a pass, they may have a pass of addiction or even a pass with problems with law enforcement. We're giving them a new lease in life and we're gonna give them a pathway so that that recidivism is cut quite a bit because they have a good paying job. We've re connected them to their families in many cases to their children right right and then the housing comes because housing without treatment is a temporary fix right. at the expense of taxpayers treatment is that core mental health treatment is that core and as you said addiction has a direct correlation to a transformation of mental health it goes hand in hand so right. Beautiful question. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. Do you think that um, under your administration, we'd see additional funding for public defenders or the legal resources that are needed, like clinics to help people who are dealing with legal financial obligations, driver's license suspensions, all yeah. the things that affect people from rejoining the workforce? Uh, and child support. Yeah. Oh, big no. one. So, and this is something people don't think about. It, it's, it's, you get clean, you have a job, but you don't want to take a job because if you take a job, you have a billion dollars in child support back. So no, thank you very much. Or I have a record or this. So to answer your question directly, it's not just a matter of bringing funding. I'm a performance improvement consultant. So I, I can already tell you when we double budget from 35 to $70 billion in 10 years, as someone who understands fiscal responsibility, ledgering and performance, 
money is not being effectively utilized within our state. Right. We have programs that aren't working, programs that are being funded that should not be funded. And I'm not talking about cutting staff. I'm just saying perform better, perform more effectively, more efficiently. We save taxpayer dollars. And so we can accomplish so much more for so much less. But if it required, absolutely, we would fund those programs. And you spoke of public defenders. We're in a shortage right now of public defenders. We're actually in a shortage. Secondly, speaking of addiction and public defenders, our crime labs, our Washington State Patrol crime labs, drug labs, they do all the testing statewide. They're understaffed, they are backed up, they're inundated, they are behind. Courts cannot maintain those open dockets. And in the meantime, people are being released back on the streets into that element to reoffend or back into misery and sometimes there was a young lady in Centralia who begged the judge to incarcerate her, to put her in jail, because she knew if she was released, she would go out and possibly die from overdose. She didn't, praise be, but she did overdose, but she didn't die. So we have a broken system. We need to reinvest in treatment, and we have a compact now for nurses where we can, what we call, bring nurses in or have reciprocity of licensure, we can bring nurses in from different places and create a pathway so we can get them working because we need them. We should be doing that for mental health counselors, drug treatment counselors, so we can recruit those professionals from anywhere in the nation to Washington State and then incentivize them. Also a pathway from high school to an AAA, because right now we have, you can get your nursing, you can get your, your, you can go test for your NCLEX to become an RN with an AA degree. So we should have a pathway from high school to fulfill those positions as counselors and addiction treatment professionals. So there's a lot we can do. And I don't think there's a dollar sign that we want to put on there. So we as a state will fund what we need to fund without fear to the taxpayers, because don't worry, we'll find ourselves giving tax relief to our taxpayers. I, 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 I feel that in my heart because I've been doing business consulting for so long. You feel for like we're overspending and not seeing the results. Oh, way overspending. I mean, we're just we're just an ineffective corporation, if you will. Right. We're we're not and, and it's no blame. I don't I don't do blame. I don't do name calling. I don't do Democrat, Republican. I don't I, I would prefer not to do that. It's a two party state, unfortunately. Sure. Um but no, it's a matter of performance, efficiency. And the things we're talking about shouldn't be political. It's it's non political. It's just what needs to be done. So I have that mindset of let's go in, let's do the work, let's get it done, create value for those we serve. And uh, then for me, and then I retire. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, the, I mean, you, you spoke about the two party state and mm-hmm. for those of, of the uh, listening public that don't know, um, you are running opposed, yes. right? So yes. let's tell us a little bit uh, about the difference between you and, and your opposition, what what, yeah. what makes you stand out? So I don't even see them as, I guess people must see them as opposition, but um, we have Senator Mark Mullet um, running on the Democrat side, if you will. Um, Bob Ferguson, Attorney General, running on the Democrat side. I'm a, you know, a Frederick Douglass Republican, a Reconstruction Republican, you know, a civil rights, women's rights, parents' rights Republican. And I have to, I have to bring those descriptors in because there's different, narratives of what a Democrat and a Republican is. Most of my family is Democrat, so I will never say anything negative about a Democrat because 
gosh, my mother was a Democrat. She was a Kennedy, right? Yeah. So there are people who vote a certain way, but there's a time in which we should look at what the person brings to the table, what their positions are, what their platforms are. Um, the other person running as a Republican, um, Dave Reichert, much more moderate than I am, and they feel that, that that's a good thing. Um, again, I say, look at the person, look at their platform, look at their positions, um, and what do they stand for, regardless of party. Right. I'm not a fan of political parties, so let me just put that out there <laughs> publicly for everyone. I'm, I'm a fan of the, the Constitution and the concept that America is this melting pot that all cultures, all creeds, right, all races um, is what makes us exceptional and strong. It's that diversity of thought and, and culture, right? That's what gives us our strength. That, that That's... That's what those amendments, 13, 14, 15th, and the 19th women's rights, right? To vote. Civil rights, my childhood idol and mentor, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I'm a he never claimed to be one party or another, but he would be what I would call, right? I'm an MLK Republican, right? Okay. So but you know, I honestly it's about who you are and what you represent. And and Dr. King represents who I am, um, you know, judge not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And I, and I could cite that. I could cite the preamble. I could cite the plaque on the Statue of Liberty, right? Um, because those things matter, right? So, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I, I think um, in, in law school, I actually did a, a, a moot court, like an argument, a debate team competition yeah. where we talked about the Statute of Liberty and immigration. Yes. And I think that's a hot topic for a lot of people who are leaning one way or the other. Um, you know, I, I, I'm here sitting with you in Kent, Washington. Kent is an incredibly diverse community yes. with a lot of people not having citizenship who mm -hmm. live here, who are victims of car accidents, who go through the Im uh, immigration process or the uh, car accident claim process, totally scared of what the outcome is going to be, and maybe don't call 911 when they're injured in a car accident at no fault of their own because they're so in fear of what the immigration consequences are going to be. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about immigration in Washington State, in the city of Kent? How do you feel about victims of crime who refuse to call 911 because they're scared? Yeah, and so that, that plaque on the Statue of Liberty, I want to cite that um, because it's important to this discussion. I think it is. Um, you know, Emma Lazarus wrote this, the new Colossus. Send me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. That wretched refuse in your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, Tempest tossed to me, and I will raise my lamp beside the golden door. Right? I should be very close to a, a citation on <laughs> beautiful, that. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, brother. Beautiful. But, but th this is a, a balance between law and order, rule of law, and human decency, humanity. We are a nation of humanity. That plaque is relevant to that statement. So let me be specific. We need to understand that border security is national security. It is for me. But we can never compromise humanity or human decency or human rights. We can never compromise that ever, ever. So if a person is injured, we take care of that person. If a person finds themselves a victim 
to a scenario, well, they're a human being first. That, that has to be acknowledged. And I remind, and I said this the other day, I had, um, you know, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, people can be evil at times. And because I'm not that typical Republican, I'm not the establishment's choice, if you will, right? I'm not backed by big money. I'm not backed by those who typically um, get engaged. But yet, we are very successful in our campaign. We are ranked towards the top. Um, we just won a Linwood Times poll, number one. I had to remind someone of the value of diversity and inclusion because they said Simi Bird claims to be conservative, but yet he lectures on diversity and inclusion. And the lecture was diversity and inclusion, colon, generations, cultures, and perspectives. And when I have to remind Republicans that we were the party of abolition, the party of women's rights, the party of civil rights, and we should be the party of parents' rights, something's wrong. You may need to redefine what a Republican is or what a conservative is, because I will never back away from my beliefs. My beliefs are stronger than any party. I apologize for going out in the diatribe no, to answer your questions. Very helpful. But there has to be a baseline of what you stand for. Think about that. Abolition. Is that not human rights? Dr. King said that the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator to certain unalienable rights, which among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why would a man fighting for civil rights, where dogs were being set upon them, fire hoses were being set upon them, where Rosa Parks was arrested for sitting not in the back of the bus. That was a different time. I was born during those times. He marched for equality of opportunity, not equity of outcome. He just wanted fair and equal access to the American dream. He brought forth an understanding that this is a human rights issue. Therefore, a civil rights issue that aligned to the rights guaranteed all citizens of this great nation by our constitution. We've lost our way and we must not compromise that in any circumstance. That is my belief. And to answer your question, that is the tie between human rights and the law. Human rights must take precedent and priority in a situation like that where a person should never feel afraid of this nation to get care, to be treated fairly and equally. There's a lot more to say about that. I'm sure right? there is, yeah. But, but yeah, so there, well, there's we'll have to have you come back on another <laughs> episode. I, I think it's important to note, um, you know, just in case we, we you get the, the success after all the thousands, hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> watch this podcast, um, decide to elect you as the governor mm. of Washington. I think it's important to note, in conversations I've had with insurance companies, they refuse to process a check for payment without disclosure of a social security number. Yeah. And I think that that's a bit of a despicable tactic. And I ask every time, if this person doesn't have a social security number, are you not going to pay them? Yeah, and so the, the, this, is, this is where we're at. Again, this is where we go back to, I, I, I get, it's a fine line because I am 
someone who supports the rule of law. I am. And I'm not going to come here and tell you one thing and then tell someone else another thing. I support securing our borders. But we have a situation where we have people here now, right? We must, we must resolve that. If a person has an ID to be here and they don't have a social security, but yet they have been found a victim of an accident and a payout is due them, well then the payout is due them. Yeah, that's how I feel. Right, I mean, but, but if it's by the rules, right? I mean, if it's by the rules, if a person hits this person, this person is a victim within an accident. Absolutely. It doesn't change that fact, right? So that person is still due a payout. So this is a deeper discussion in terms of the law. And again, this is why we need to first, again, I believe secure our borders, look for a pathway for those who are here. And I strongly support sanctuary within the United States. Those who meet that criteria, 100%. There's some horrific things that happen in Africa, that happen in, in Central America. I've seen it, right? I mean, we, we have always been that place, right, for sanctuary. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge the situation at hand. We gave a perfect example. Common sense says, again, a payout is due, a payout must be made. But now we have a mechanism that is in place that prevents or precludes it from happening. So what must be done? And that becomes a legal issue. Right. I think my problem is that there's not a mechanism that prevents the payout. It's the insurance company trying to prevent the payout by manufacturing a rule that does not exist. You don't have to have a social security number yeah. to receive that check. Yeah, and so there's the thing. So if there is nothing in the law that precludes it, then the payout must be made. It's the same thing with the Constitution. And I, and I tell people who would support me, I'll say as a, I hate to say this, as a, let's say a Republican or a conservative, I, I spoke to a lady, I'm a spiritual person, I'm a very spiritual person. And she said, well, we should be teaching religion in this institution. And I said, I can't support that. Would I like that? Yes. Would I do that? No. I said, Article 1, Section 11 of the Washington State Constitution. It's, it's, it's not in the, the Constitution does not allow for that. Right. And my personal views do not take precedent over the Constitution of Washington State or the United States of America. So in your example, there is no law that precludes it. So therefore, right must prevail. And that payout should take place. And if the insurance company is withholding payment because of a technicality, if they know that the payment should be made, well, then the payment should be made. That is an ethical violation, in my opinion, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it would be different if it was in violation of the law. But just to save money or to hold money back when you know that this person is rightfully entitled to those funds based on the liability and culpability, yeah, no. Despicable. Yes, it is. I, um, I, I have another, uh, I, like, I like tying in uh, uh, political issues to real world examples of how they think. affect car accident cases. Sure. I don't think it's sure. that hard for me to do, and I think a lot of people might have a harder time doing it. But for example, 
in Washington, if you're injured and you're married, mm -hmm. your spouse might have a claim for something called loss of consortium. It's mm -hmm. uh, the effects of how that injury has affected your uh, ability to uh, have care, comfort of, of your partner. So sometimes that's uh, related to more um, the biblical, I guess, term of, of uh, how you uh, love your spouse. Mm -hmm. But um, um, I, I think it's important to talk about gay marriage yeah. and gay rights and yeah. how you feel about um, whether the the same-sex couples in Washington state should be allowed to make those same claims if you were governor. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, actually. Um, so here's my statement. I'm not here to judge a person's lifestyle. I'm here to ensure their civil liberties. So it's quite the opposite. Um, I've lived in times of discrimination and prejudice. I will not perpetrate it on another person. And so if a person chooses to love a certain way, they have their rights. Now I have, again, my personal <laughs> right views. Well, let me just share those. I love everyone, period. And so if you're gay, I love you, <laughs> period. And say that to the camera. <laughs> I will never discriminate against a person because they choose to love a different way. I love you. Um, that is not who I am. Um, it, I, I don't want to insult anybody's beliefs. And, and, and again, this is my beliefs tell us we love our neighbors as ourselves. And just because you choose to love differently does not mean you're no longer my neighbor. It is not up to me to judge. That's above my pay grade. Mm. My job is to love. Right, I was uh, in, in church just last week in Seattle, last Sunday, and the pastor said, excuse me, the Sunday before in Seattle, and the pastor said, we are walking love letters from God to one another. And I know this is spiritual, and some people, oh, you're talking religious, and you know, you're, you're running for office, and well, no, I don't run for my faith. And so, but conceptually, when we love one another, it's a beautiful thing, right? Sorry, I'm going too long into this. No, no, no. But I, good. you know, some people would say, oh, oh he's asking the, the gay question to a conservative, you know, candidate for governor. And, and again, whether a person doesn't vote for me because I see value in all, all citizens, all human beings, I will not change from that. I will not change from that. I love everyone and will respect everyone based on who they are, judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And although Dr. King did not mention lifestyle, I'm sure he would have felt the same way. And if I, you know, I'm not trying to speak for the King family or, <laughs> or Dr. King, but I, I feel comfortable in that. Um, well, that's a great segue into, I guess, the, the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. and how you feel about how Washington has um, reacted to the deaths of countless individuals in police custody and, and how they feel that black folks are being treated differently by police. And what's your position on that? So, boy, there's so much I can say in this. So, I support law enforcement fully. I do. I, I think we should be ensuring that they have the resources that they need. That we do not demonize them. But at the same time, if you're a law enforcement officer and you exceed ethical standards and you are prejudicing against, and I hope I said that right, if you're bringing prejudice against a citizen of this state because of the color of their skin, you're wrong. And you will be held accountable. If you are treated 
adversely because of the color of your skin, you're wrong and you'll be held accountable. Fact. That being said, we do not presume guilt of a black person like we do not presume guilt of a police officer. You, you see where I'm, where I'm going with this? Right. We do not judge a person because of their lifestyle. We treat a person based on who that person is. We need to stop this division. There has been bad things that have been done to good people. I've been there. I, I, I have been there. I have been wrongfully accused. <laughs> I have been prejudiced against. I may share a story. And maybe two. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some breaking news right here in your show. Are you with me on this? Breaking break, news right break, here. Break, breaking news. <laughs> so here I was in the United States Marine Corps. And a sergeant who liked to throw the N-word around a little too often. This is 19... This is almost 40 years ago. And I said nothing. I did nothing. And others had... But it wasn't that often. I mean, you know, in the military, we don't have this out of control nonsense. Even back then. But this person didn't get the memo. Knuckles still dragged, apparently. But as soon as he did that and put hands on me, I popped him in the snout. Now, you know, you don't strike another Marine that's wrong. I did. And when I talked to my commander and I told him that this man was a racist, my commander said, that's no excuse. I just wanted my commander to acknowledge that using those words and discriminating against another soldier because of the color of skin, another Marine, is wrong. He would not. I had a problem with that. I requested trial by court under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, a.k.a. Court Martial. I requested it. To this day, Republicans who are not running and supporting me, and what I mean, Republicans who are supporting the other candidates running, what about Simi's Court Martial? You see what's going on? Because I stood up against a racist and to bring forward racism happening within my unit. Yeah, so I felt it. Remember we were talking about Dominic and when you felt the stung of injustice? Injustice. It is. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was 100% correct on that. I will share something else with you. That something someone put out publicly on Twitter today. Semi Bird was arrested for theft of a firearm. Oh, this is breaking news. This is the breaking news. Oh, wow. Right, I know. Do you have the gun on you right yeah, now? No, Did no, you I'm ditch not, it I'm not before backing. you came here? I'm okay. not backing. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm for if I wanted to legally. I was a reserve deputy sheriff. A lot of people don't know that, um, but I was. And... My roommate, when he moved out, because we both had to move out, it was his parents' house we were living in and renting, he grabbed my box with my uniforms and my firearm in it, and he moved. I knew he was going to the uh, the Midwest, Michigan. I didn't know where. Um, he was a friend, and his brother still lived locally. He's, he's also an attorney um, in the Tri-Cities. And the Sheriff's Department called and said, hey, we need your uniforms and your revolver back. I'm like, yes, 100%. Um, I'm trying to track it down. Oh, they lost their mind, right? 
I said, look, I'll buy you a brand new firearm, brand new. This was an old, you know, even the blue one was, I'll buy you a brand new one. I'll sign whatever. Oh, they weren't having it. Oh, and they came after me. Yeah. Needless to say, Carrie, my roommate, I found him. <laughs> he called them, told them, I've got it right here. I'm in the Midwest. I tried to get it back to Simi. Sorry, my bad. All charges dismissed. Wow. So I was arrested. Oof. Right? And had to be arraigned. Yes, dismissed. Wow. Today on Twitter, breaking news. Candidate for Washington State Governor arrested for theft. So to answer your question, my friend, I'm not claiming the race card. Mm -hmm. I'm not playing the race card. But you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Is there such a thing, driving while black, walking while black, anything while black? Possibly yes, probably yes, maybe. It depends on the officer, it depends on the scenario and the situation. Why did I not mention this? Why do I not live by this? Why do I not wear that on my sleeve? Because I was not ever raised to be a victim. I don't forget. I share my story with you today. I lean into controversy. I don't run from who I am or my history. I am unashamed of who I am as a man, as a person, as a human being. But to answer your question, is there still injustice in our society? Yes, there is. But we have to stop and ask ourselves, is it our society or is it individuals within our society who perpetuate an outdated form of ignorance? And they put that under whatever the guise. In my case, are they coming after me because I'm a black man or are they coming after me because I'm the opposition? I can't answer that for them, right? Are we making history in Washington State? Yeah, we are. I can't answer that for them. But I wanted you to hear that from me, and now you have breaking news for your I'm podcast. I'm excited to share it, yes. Ari Hoffman wants me to be in his show tomorrow. You know, <laughs> Simi Bird, will you comment on this? Well, he likes talking about Simi Bird's baggage, that court-martial. <laughs> I can go on. I'm sure there's a reason why he, he and Brandy Cruz likes talking about that. But no, you're not going to back me up, back me down, pull me down, hold me down. No. I think people of Washington State can empathize, can relate to someone who's navigated adversity their entire life, who stands strong and rises above to say, no, no, I speak truth. I call truth. I lean into it. And here I am leaning. And you love everyone. I do. That's important. I do. And that's it. It's forgiveness. It's moving forward. And it's not being a victim, but being a part of the system to make things better for others. Right? Bringing accountability is what we're talking about. Accountability. Making sure everybody has representation. That dream is not done. It's not realized. I wrote a meritocracy. It's on my website, birdforgovernor.com. Look up a meritocracy. It talks about Dr. King's dream and bringing jobs and opportunities and programs and better quality education to all groups and all communities within Washington State so we can raise people up out of poverty and despair. We can break those generations of poverty. Right? We need to change cultures. And I'm unafraid to call it out. <laughs> it's amazing 
how we label one another and separate one another and we divide one another. And what we do is we say, this group is supporting this group and this group is against this group. And then they're fighting, but this group gets nothing from other side. Right. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Right. And we do all this other stuff. It's time for someone to come forward and say, what is the mission? Why are we not lifting and benefiting everybody by lifting? So I'm here to lift all citizens up and represent all citizens and to finish that dream equality of opportunity. I'm here to shift and change cultures once and for all. Um, and I'm, I do that unafraid. That's that's powerful stuff. Thank you very much for Thank sharing. You, all that. I apologize. I get no, I get excited. No, I get you're a good politician. Uh, no, I'm a, well, a, human being. Yeah, I've never. I a don't passionate person. Thank you. Thank passionate you. person. Better said. Thank um, you. I um I I want to discuss just briefly. I think it's important to talk about uh, people who are non citizens who work in the United States or work in Washington State. Mm-hmm. What's your position on that? And and how. Do you feel we can help people who are non-citizens who are struggling to get through, feed their families, and, and work in the United States or in Washington State? Yeah, so that, that, that is that question. We're, we need to seal the borders, first and foremost. We, you have to. But we have families that are here now. We have children that are born here now that are in high school. Right, This is their home. This is their country. Pathways to citizenship. And you said it, we have people that are here working, that are here con- contributing to our American way of life. Why would we not try to bring forth a pathway of citizenship to give them that opportunity to the American dream when they're already here contributing? This, this mindset that because you come from another country that you're here to do harm and that you're, you're naturally predisposed to this. That's a very racist thing to say. I'm glad you used that it's, term. It's a Thank very discriminatory thing to say. <laughs> and I don't say it clearly. I think I just said something opposite, <laughs> but no, we have to, we, we got to call it out the way it is. Um, we have to bring truth to that and we have to deal with it again. It's not going to be comfortable for people over here or people over here. Right? Do, do you see? The, I have a friend of mine. She's in Kent. Wow. Her name. I almost don't want to call her out. She's with a um, a coalition that represents Black Americans in Kent. Her name is Gwen. I respect her greatly. I met her. She's a community leader and she's a powerful woman. And she told me when I first met her last year, she said it's going to take courage for people from both sides to come together to put aside differences to help others. I believe in every word she said. It's gonna take courage to speak truth. When you know you may lose votes here or lose votes here because truth is truth. That's what I'm giving you today is truth. And so in her honor, Miss Gwen's honor, um, she's, she's with the Kent, um, um, I think it's Black Action Commission. So I'm just gonna put that out there so everybody knows. I respect her greatly, and Charles is with her organization as well. Um, we've spoken over the last year, and I want to do her honor. And uh, through this podcast, let her know I have not forgotten my promises that I made when we first met last year. Um, I will honor those promises when I'm elected governor. Um, and we must, we must move forward to facilitate better representation for all citizens and ensure that people are safe in our state and that we are working cohesively with love with one another. 
Um, so I will. But again, I hold true to, we will secure our state, but we will also address what needs to be addressed without shame, but with humanity. I think um, uh, uh anecdote that a lot of people uh, bring to my attention is we're really interested in like securing our southern border. Mm-hmm. But not our northern border. Oh my goodness, yes. What's the deal? How come uh, Donald Trump doesn't want to build a, a wall between us and Canada? Yeah, no. So I will say this. We are more we are more vulnerable at the northern border than the southern border from a terrorist threat. I, this is my area of specialty. So, And we're closer in Washington to the northern border, so it makes more sense oh, geographically for us to care about that one, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I've already spoken on this and I published on this. So, wow. it, so it's not a, a new thought for me, just because you said it, <laughs> um, it's also posted on my Facebook page. So it's our northern border and our port border that are wide open and no one talks about it. I, I am a counterterrorism specialist, or I was, and an intelligence specialist. Um, hmm. That was like in my specialty. <laughs> but we are very vulnerable in Washington state right now. And it has nothing to do um, <laughs> with um, people from the typical demographic Discussed from the southern border. But there's also a concern at the southern border, greatly, where we call individuals that are on the terrorism watch list, right, from different countries in the Middle East, right, Asia. Um, but that's different. You don't judge a whole culture from an individual that happens to wind up on the terrorism watch list. Does that make any sense? You, that is wrong, <laughs> and that is um, that's ignorant. It's simply the individual, not their race <laughs> or where they come from. It's the individual. Um, so we have to get that clear. But no, we are we are vulnerable from the north. We're vulnerable from the port, and yeah, we are vulnerable by the, from the south. But I've talked about our northern border, um, and statistically, it is a greater threat from individuals who find their way on that watch list from the northern border. So, yeah. Wow, and no one ever talks about the port. So, now that's uh, yeah. we have a, a very large, booming uh, port economy here mm-hmm. in Washington, and it's important to consider that when we're having these discussions. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to mention as well that you said if you're an individual here contributing to society that is not here with a legal basis, but you want to create a path for that. Yes. I think it's important to understand that because corporations follow the least restrictive means and the the lowest common denominator for costs a a lot of law firms i'm seeing are outsourcing a lot of positions to remote staff in other countries and that's taking jobs away from people in the united states and that's a legal basis that doesn't have any risk of of you know terrorism for example but it's taking away jobs from united states citizens giving them to people who they're able to pay much lower than minimum wage. Yeah. What's what's your position on people who are outsourcing jobs because of the cost of American labor? I'm glad you said that. And so we talk about economic prosperity for Washington. That has to be addressed. And so you want to do business in Washington. There's ways we can incentivize through our taxes, our tax process, right? Let's make doing business in Washington and hiring from Washington, beneficial for corporations. We should be doing that. At the same time, I'm not gonna compromise 
our free market society. But I will prioritize doing business here, hiring here, so it is worth it for them, right? They're outsourcing for a reason. Well, I want to do everything in my power to make sure that they're insourcing from Washington. And, and again, that's not saying something to make you or anybody else feel good about Simi's positions on anything. It's just simply economic prosperity for Washington. That should be my job as the chief executive officer. My shareholders are citizens of Washington, right? The mm -hmm. people who I serve in Washington, all people of Washington. So we create prosperity for Washington. This is like our tourists, right? Tourism. We should be the tourism capital, the side of the Mississippi. You said it. We have this beautiful port state. We have the Cascade Mountains. We have beautiful Eastern Washington. We have rushing rivers and streams. It's gorgeous. Mount Tahoma. Oh my, beautiful here. Beautiful here. We are just burning up opportunity. It's here if we go get it. We need to clean up our streets. We need to make communities safe. We need to make our schools better. We need to bring business here and lift people up here. There's so much that can be done. It's almost like seeing a plane heading into the mountain. Oh gosh. <laughs> right? And you're a pilot and you're going, and you're knocking on the door, right? And you're yeah. fiercely trying to get into the cockpit. It's like, let me in, let me in, let me in, right? It's kind of like where I'm at. It's like, let me in. I need to do this because I see where we're going and I know I can do this. I can fix it. There's nothing as a resume item for a career politician. We continue to put career politicians in position where we need people with knowledge, skills, and abilities to get the job done. Someone who knows acquisition, procurement, and contracting. Someone knows leadership, team cohesion, human resources, bargaining, right? These are things in my wheelhouse. Right? We talked about behavioral science. We talked about knowledge of homelessness and the psychological impact of narcotics, opioids. I mean, there's a lot for such a time as this that I bring to the table. Um, so I ask people to look at my resume and I share openly right, that new Twitter breaking news because we need to stop looking for a Manchurian candidate that came up within this white picket fence who looks a certain way, who comes from a certain breed, we need to start looking for representation that reflects all citizens of Washington State and then look for someone who can actually get the job done. I may not be saying things that makes everybody happy or people will go, oh, he's playing a race card, he's playing this card. You know what, I'm playing the American card. And that American card says we love all, we love everybody, right? And if you're gonna lead this state, you need to recognize that. And stop the division nonsense. You know how many people are right here? I was at dinner, our friend's house, we were at dinner, and there was a couple, and they typically vote over here, and they said, I'm fiscally uh, conservative, and I'm socially you know, liberal, but they get forced to choose, right? Why do we force people to choose one party over another? That's the fault of this two-party system. We need to bring forward a candidate that person goes, okay, I, I see you've got this little R behind your name, but clearly you've explained when you say, you know, you're Frederick Douglass, I get, I get you, yeah, you're a silver, I get you. 
right? You're clearly, you realize the human factor. Okay, I can get behind that, but you are gonna fix our economy. You are gonna clean up our streets. You are gonna bring compassion, right? You're not gonna burn any more of our money up and you're gonna stop taxing us to death and you are gonna fix our mental health infrastructure that's virtually non-existent. 1,750 beds, 400,000 people, adults who didn't get the mental health care that they needed, right? Over 50% of youth ages 17 to 25 who didn't get the mental health care that they needed because we don't have neither the infrastructure nor the capacity through those professionals, those mental health professionals, right? I have the solutions with actions. I posted most of that on my website. Instead of talking it, I write it and then I sign my name so people know I'm true and sincere like I was with Miss Gwen honoring her name with my promise I made to her. Clint Black, Clint Kent Black Action um, Commission. Wonderful. What role will community outreach and education play in prevention of personal injury under your administration? You know, I, that's an interesting question. If you if you take personal injury off that, I'm going to say 100% across the board. Personal injury. If I was not looking at it from an, an attorney standpoint, I would go, well, I work for the Department of Energy, so we're a federal organization, and we have a mindset of safety. We have a safety mindset. So everything that we do, slip hazards, fall hazards, all of these other things, we are continuous on that. We actually reward employees for, for spotting and recognizing, so we create a mindset of safety. So that, that's industrial. That's an OSHA kind of a thing, but at the highest level. But when you said that, the first thing I think about, and this is not gonna answer your question, so we're gonna have to a little bit back and forth on this. I think about financial security, financial literacy. And I'd like to hear from you when you say personal injury, I'm talking about bringing financial literacy to all education at an early age, because I didn't know credit scores or the value thereof. I, I, I had bad credit at some point in time in my young adult life. I'm sure that'll be another thing that someone will throw up, but that's okay. <laughs> you know what's Breaking when, news. I know, breaking news. <laughs> Sammy Bird has an 815 Beacon score and is a preferred insurance customer. I'm saying. <laughs> fact check that. I don't fact check. Oh, sure. I, oh, I, I, mm, this brother fact checks everything. No, okay, um, okay. But so to your point, I guess that outreach is important because so many communities don't know what they don't know because it's been generationally not shared, not taught, and people don't know what they need to know to protect them, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Absolutely. And so when we say that phrase, outreach and engagement, oh, I'm all in, no matter what it is, whether it's financial literacy or any other kind of literacy. And so I'm a fan. So I, it sounds terrible for a podcast guest to say, help me to understand better what you mean by personal injury. I understand that from an insurance aspect. Of sure. it. I understand from a, a legal aspect of it. Being cautious, you know, I mean, I, I, I get it from a common sense aspect. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you had the benefit of listening in to my previous guest, Anel Galicia from yes. Farmers Insurance. If you yes. guys are listening, please Amazing buy insurance for sure. Um, so she, she had mentioned that credit score mm -hmm. is a big part 
of the pricing that an insurance company determines whether you're a standard customer, i.e. subpar, more mm -hmm. expensive, or a preferred mm. customer, someone who has a good credit score, comes from good demographics, yeah. has higher income, usually buys higher policies. You actually get cheaper insurance if you have a good credit score. Yeah. And that sees a, a disparate impact on minorities mm -hmm. or people who don't have high incomes. How do we incorporate laws that protect everyone equally for insurance companies to have to offer coverage or to have to provide the same rates to everyone equally yeah. to, to share that risk for insurance companies, but to make insurance accessible and affordable for people who are driving uninsured or can't afford PIP or UIM coverage who need it? Yeah. So the good news is I'm very familiar with PIP and UIM. Not just because I sat on in the first. Um, so here's where we will differ a little bit. And I think I was going down the right path without knowing that I was going down the right path. Because I didn't really yeah, understand yeah. the context of your question. But I think I was. Financial literacy. So I'm going to take it a different way. Where we say we pass laws to make mandatory. So we we have to take into consideration. And and I don't have all the answers. But I'm going to give you what I what I know or what I believe and why I'll say also what I know as a consultant in, in, this, in the business industry. Liability is liability. Risk is risk. There is a disparate impact. And the disparate impact comes from, how should I put this? Well, I'll just say it, what I, what I think I alluded to earlier. I never knew I was not taught financial literacy when I was a young man. We were poor. We lived on food stamps. My mother worked her buns off to provide. She sacrificed everything for her children. So she worked all day, came home, gave us love, fed us, did everything. That wasn't a priority to teach us about credit and how to be financially responsible. I never got that. Um, I am there now. My child knows that. I teach that to my child and I support teaching that in our schools. I support laws that brings financial literacy in curriculum from an early age up. But we have to recognize that young drivers statistically are the highest risk to insure. Statistical fact. From a credit score, I am not into, it sounds terrible to my friend who's a lawyer, lawfare I would say. I'm not a fan of bringing law as a solution to everything. And just because I think it's a Band-Aid, right? We need to holistically or organically fix a problem, which is culturally, meaning within communities. And that goes with, gosh, I think you were already there. Outreach and education is the answer. And why did it take me so long just to realize where you were here? <laughs> that, I mean, truly, that is the answer. So what I would say, instead of laws, we as a state bring those programs. And, and, not, and not just for that, but for many others. Because there are certain communities that need that outreach and education. And that even that sounds somewhat, <laughs> you know, why am I targeting? Because it's not there. Those They're mentors, underserved. Underserved is it's a phrase that that we could use, and that makes sense. That's one way of putting it. But people don't they see it, they hear underserved, and we go, oh wait a minute, that's that's a that's a triggering phrase, right? Because one group says it, and the other group goes, oh they've been saying this, and usually it brings this, right? Mm. We have to stop letting people reside in our mind. Sometimes a phrase is the right phrase, right? 
underserved just simply means that they have not been brought this information. I taught a course, a class, and I'll be very quick, quick about this. Um, I often taught leadership to executives. I taught courses, um, great time, to engineers. And I was speaking on recruiting more black and brown engineers. And an engineer, and these are all managers and executives, and one of them said, Simi, I know you don't teach the equity thing, and I know you don't talk about the, and don't take that out of context, meaning, Editor, man, don't take that out of no, context. It's it's okay. I mean, I you, you guys should get it just for who I am and how I am, right? How I roll. I don't like putting numbers on things. I like fixing things, right? You don't fix the thing by saying, I'll take that, that, right? You fix it so you don't have to do that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm leading into. He says, why would we go out of our way and spend company funds to target that community and not all communities. I said, because that community does not have engineers in it. They don't know the pathway. It's not something that has ever been open to them. They don't have doctors and lawyers, right? And scientists on those blocks, right? We grew up in, when I grow up, we grew up in Seattle, but where we started out in East Oakland, there is no doctors, lawyers, and scientists in those neighborhoods, right? In East 14th and 86, you don't see too many. And many other communities, we need to bring those mentorship programs and we need to start targeting those. And I explained it to him this way. You fished out of this pond. We have plenty of white engineers and plenty of female engineers. And now we still don't even have enough of them. Let's fish upon what we haven't fished before. Let's start going to places where there are people who, as you said, are underserved that we have not. Let's start going into those minority colleges. Let's start bringing those programs. And he says, that makes sense. It's just sharing the return on investment. And I hope I didn't say that in a terrible way, <laughs> but, but it's literally bringing opportunity to those who knew those opportunities were not out there is what I'm trying to say. Right. If that makes any sense. Showing, showing students in underserved communities, maybe a path to be a successful engineer. 100% from middle school, having people like me go back into those communities so they can see and go, you're a behavior. What does that mean to be a behavioral scientist? You were a high school dropout and now you have these degrees. How did you do that? You have more than $2 in your bank account. <laughs> How did you do that? Right? I mean, literally, because now you can, they can see me, someone who maybe looks like them and they can go, wow. And I've done that. And that's not just children of color. It's all children who fall into poverty and despair. Poverty is, does not discriminate. Right? Neither does mental illness or addiction, right? But those children who do not see people who've made it from nothing to something, let's have those mentorship programs go in early so they can see another pathway. Um, give them hope and encouragement. And let's start talking about building resiliency within our young people. Let's stop teaching them that there's something wrong with them because they're black or they're brown or they're disabled or because they're a woman or a girl, you know what I'm saying, a girl or, no. I, I want strong, Right, Tuskegee Airmen, Booker T. Washington. I mean, there's so many people in our history that we can be proud of um, on all sides, all colors, all religions. Let's bring that in to our schools. That's why I value teaching truth in history, right? So people know there's strong people in all cultures that we should be talking about. There's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah. I read a, a meme just recently. Uh, you talked about truth in history. Uh, it said, 
the um that gay marriage has now been around longer than the confederacy and it had a little rainbow flag and it said these colors don't run do you have anything you'd like to say about that meme no <laughs> if, if it's a statistical fact it's a statistical fact um yeah i've been very clear and i, I think that was clearer than clear uh, <laughs> yeah. on my right on my thought and my opinion I think so. and um yeah no um hey right on i mean it's just would you share that meme that gay marriage has been longer around longer than the confederacy yeah yeah like on your social media would you would you share that meme yes yeah, sir it's 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 intriguing yeah yeah I'm, I'm no i'm thinking i'm processing yeah. yeah yeah i'm saying yeah because i'm digging it um yeah well, mean, i'm gonna i'm gonna share this interview on my meme i mean my social media i appreciate that oh no it's yeah, it's, it's, it's good interview. so again politics is politics and i've already called it out as sometimes being evil i and i'm not trying to equivocate no at, at, at all here's something i will say very boldly you don't educate educate people by slapping them in the face and calling them a name right you don't do that but has anybody noticed that we do that a lot we we we, we say cops are this white people are that black people are that right or immigrants are that that's the first thing we say we we what we label lynch mm. we need to knock that nonsense off and start bringing truth that's why i said let me look up the statistics because I think that's intriguing. I'm like, mm, I'm chewing that up. Yeah. Um, because I don't discriminate. And, and again, I will love you if you're gay. <laughs> and I don't care what anybody says about that because I don't. And I don't have any other way to say it. So it, it, I, do I have to prove that I'm black? I, should I? Should I have to prove? <laughs> do I have to prove that I love a person because they choose to live a different lifestyle. Should I have to prove that? Do I have to prove that? I mean, that's how bad our society has devolved into division. I think we need to start showing love instead of talking about love. We need to start showing that we care about one another instead of what we post, demonstrate. And maybe that's a form for some to demonstrate that we support. But I don't think there's anything more powerful than a person saying who they are and what they believe in and speaking truth. Wonderfully put. No, Wonderfully thank you. Put. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I have no other questions, but I want to make sure you have an opportunity to share your social media, your website, anything you'd like for anyone who'd uh, like to thank learn you, more Joshua. about your candidacy. Thank you. Well, I'm proud of you. I love your beautiful agency. This is awesome. <laughs> thank you. So friendsbirdforgovernor.com. Um, send me bird for Governor Washington is our Facebook page. But go to birdforgovernor.com. Um, you can learn about me. I have my solutions with actions. Um, a lot of videos. I have a YouTube channel. Um, so I'm not hard to find. But if you have questions for me, um, send me an email um, and, and help me to understand. Don't just say, you said something really dumb right just tell me what you want me to know help me to learn help me to understand i'll listen i'll, I'll listen um as as i said earlier i i love everyone um you approach me better with kindness <laughs> um and you'll get me right i mean i'll listen i'll listen we may not agree but don't forget that i mean just because we don't agree on something doesn't mean we can't be friends it can't doesn't mean we can't hang out right we won't agree on everything I mean, it's rare, right? But we've forgotten that, that we can still be cool and that agree in everything. We are stronger together. Let's remember that. 
And we do want to have those differences. I think the last time I checked, we call that diversity of thought. Important. It's very important. It must define who we are. So when we talk about segregating ourselves along race, along preference, stop it. Stop it. Don't try to force yourself on other people. Help other people understand and do that with kindness, compassion, gentleness, and grace. And you'll get a long way further than throw punching them when you first see them. All right. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Semi my friend. Bird, everybody. Thank you.